Welcome back to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this third and last episode of Kathy's interview with Stanton Walsh, Stanton tells us about the origin of his ballet Marie, inspired by the life of the French queen Marie Antoinette, as well as Houston Ballet's touring, its new building, and future plans. I'm really curious about when you talk about the six, I am so jealous, you know, six seasons a year, my gosh, plus, plus, plus. Oh, I would love that. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to be able to present that much that much contemporary and ballet work. Um, and I'm curious, you know, does do you, do you think that you have an audience that just says, okay, I only want this? Or do you see a lot of crossover in crossover, your Crossover, that's, that's the so thing. That's so encouraging, yeah. isn't it? What they don't want... I feel, is repetition. You know, they might wait four years and you can bring something back, but many American companies will repeat this uh, successful ballet the following year. Our audience doesn't want that. They'd rather come and see something really new again. And I like that's a great choreographer place, you know. Yes, absolutely. And our whole motto had been to create a choreographer's Eden (laughs) with Houston Ballet, this place that was so fertile that everybody that comes is like, wow, I can't, the creation here is so ripe. Um, and, and I think that the audience definitely is already there. They're very supportive. So with your choreographer's head on, you know, when you're in the studio, uh-huh. you're looking for new ideas for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And also, but also doing your own signature works of some of the more classics. So yes. how do you trip upon Marie Antoinette? Was it, what, are you sitting there going, I really need a new idea. I really need a new idea. Kind of. Like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, because, because, you know, from where I sit, it really is much more rare that we get, if I may say, a new story ballet, no, it, a new w- classically, you know, rooted ballet that is a story mm-hmm. that is not has not been done mm-hmm. many, many, many times. Well, we, it was exactly kind of that process that I had done some of retelling of the classics. I'd done my Swan Lake. Um, I'd done Butterfly. I'd done Storytelling Cinderella. And I kind of felt like, where is this frontier of taking a character that isn't in ballet yet and making a story from it. And, I mean, I think the next frontier after Marie, which was a historical figure, is making an entirely new story with no connection to an audience. And I wanted to see if the audience would follow that and be interested in that. And it was it was strange how it came about. I, I just... I remember I, I'm kind of I jump around a lot in my work I I if I'm working on something and I get blocked the way I unblock is by working on something else and then eventually it it steers me back so I always have a few things going on and um I was working on different full lengths and I was watching PBS and they did a documentary about Marie and I was sort of watching it and then I sat down and really watched it because I couldn't believe how wrong I was in my concept of her and all everything that I had assumed was fact. It was all written in gossip and, and innuendo and, and no truth and that felt very current with all our national inquirers and all our internet stuff and how easy it is to damage someone through whispering and hundreds of years later we can't tell the fact from the fiction. I mean that... That's, That's going to be what they're going to say about Twitter a hundred years from now, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. Absolutely. And um, 
And I, I fell in love with it. And it was... But had the researcher in this PBS, where, where, where did that documentary... Was that documentary presenting that reality, that it, the fact and the fiction... It was. It was saying, basically, look, they said that she uh, had multiple affairs. It was never proven. There's no source of it. The only person she had love letters with was a person. All the other people around her were having multiple affairs. And everyone considers her... Not easy that way. Uh, the, uh, let's eat cake. The the spending of the money. There were there were many misconceptions that I'd had, and I never really researched her. I I just had my you know. Sure. And um, we study her in school. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I'd had this Shostakovich piece of music, which I used for the crossover. And there was one thing in particular that they said in the documentary, and then I watched many documentaries and read books. It fascinates me that when they traded her at the border between the two countries that they stripped her down, this little 14, 15-year-old girl in front of hundreds of people standing there watching you, took everything from you, your dog, your jewellery, and redressed you because they wanted you in the French, in the finest... I, the. How does that destroy a teenager? <laughs> what? How do you recover from that point? And then Louis, at the same time, the way he was treated, as wonderful and as opulent as it was, they were really neglected children. And then they were thrust into this problem that was well and truly churning prior to their becoming the, the leaders. Uh, it, was, it was appealing, but that stripping of her at the border... Because you want to find that thing in yourself where you can feel it and and find that pain or or joy, and uh, and that was how it began. And then what happened? And then I <laughs> and then you became obsessed. I did. And <laughs> did I, you go to France and go to Versailles I'd and been, walk around? I've done yes. all that. Okay, so good. thank goodness. Because um, <laughs> I couldn't help think about that. I was there recently, and I couldn't help think about that when I was when I yeah, was watching the ballet. Yeah, that's there. And. Uh, yeah, so I started finding the Shostakovich. I knew that I needed to have this piece. And he, he's such an incredible composer and so much music. Um, and I choreograph, I guess, a little bit differently in this aspect. Like in, in Butterfly or a ballet where the music is, is being sculpted to what your idea is, you write a script and the music follows that script. In this case, I, would, I had all her history and as I found a piece of music, it made sense to me what part of her history I wanted to do. And initially it was all going to just be one day and it would all be the day before the, uh, the palace gets attacked and I wouldn't cover anything else. And then it's like, oh, no, but I have to do this. And, oh, this music's fantastic for this. And the story grew and grew and grew. And it was more based on, on hearing a piece of music that emotionally felt like a certain part of her life for me and, and joining that together. So the music somehow dictated really the did. libretto. Yeah, it really did. That's fantastic. And it was, that was a unique experience for me with this work. And uh, I knew those two piano concertos that I have loved forever <laughs> and I can't listen to them to this day without crying and I don't even know why. Um, yeah. Well, I certainly heard from several of our musicians <laughs> uh, that it was also a beautiful balance of Shostakovich music that they knew and some pieces Great. that they didn't know, which Great. is incredible. Yeah, I mean, so the gadflies in there, which is very famous, but then symphonies and... Uh, 
Yeah, I'm good. And it's and nice then you move that. on to another idea. How long from the how long from that PBS documentary to the realization of the ballet? Oh, about two years, two, two and a half years. years. And how do you gather others around you to move it forward? Well, being the boss, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different from how it used to be. Now I just say I want to do Marie. Um, so I and got, was everybody right on right from the beginning? Yeah, they really were. Yeah. And uh, Amano Florio, who uh, helped me with the music, once I gave him my selection and he started to tweak and and get it together. Uh, I had worked with Candace Cook uh, previously on a ballet that I'd just done in that same period, which was to the Four Seasons, so I knew she would be right for all of that. All of the costumes. Yes. Now, Candace Cook, another Canadian, and, I might And Amano Florio is another Canadian. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, oh, my <laughs> God. Okay, we have to talk about that after, for sure. Maybe you should just come live here later. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Candace and you had worked together already? Yes. Okay. And uh, I also knew I had the cast. And I Candace wanted... did both the sets and costumes. And costumes. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And I really wanted to, uh, I had the cast. I, I knew I wanted a piece that had uh, ensemble because her life was so full and there were so many interesting people, which worked very well for me as a director too because I, the company's so rich and full of characters that I managed to give, you know, everyone a, a nice juicy part. And that was fascinating. And then... The company was really great about research and the piles of paper and things we could find about every character from Dubarry to Robespierre to Orleans and all these people. So that was really great. That was unlike any other dance experience I've had. Sometimes you'll read a book on Jaeger and you read the book and you, it connects to you, but... It's different when you can find hundreds of books on the subject and they all tell you a little bit different thing and you know what clothes they wore and where they lived and where they went to school and how they died. I mean, that's... But also that there's no prior um, reference point, you know, there's no... The Seagull as right. a play. Right. There's no, you know, it's, I mean, there's been others. I mean, I, I recently saw Nijinsky, which, you know, was again, right. you know, based on a person's life, but a created libretto around a particular life. But there's so few of those uh-huh. in the ballet world. And John no Neumeyer, who is what... Created Nijinsky, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, he is such a forefront of this kind of, let's just take a really interesting character and make a story, yeah. Maybe one day you'll do a ballet about Obama or something, you know? Like Yeah, that would be hard. <laughs> or the Kennedys. <laughs> well, that would be fun. <laughs> That's actually, do I have to give you money for that? No, just know. credit me in your program. You know, it came out of my discussion with her. Camelot, yeah. you've already got the name, too. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Perfect. Sellable. The, oh, all right. So, all right. When are we booking that? Do I might get killed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. You have to just be sensitive. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. But no. when I saw the ballet, what I thought was... I mean, there's so many things that were fantastic about it. It's colorful. It's funny. It's emotional. I had tears in my eyes. The music is unbelievable. The story, fantastic. I loved how you um, made Marie so vulnerable. And again, did manage to shake up our preconceptions of this, you know, rather, you know, Gaudy, yeah. you know, sort of, may I say, bitchy woman mm-hmm. who just, you know, told everybody to, you know, get out of her way because life was all about her. Mm-hmm. And it was really, you really managed to do that. And yet the structure of the piece 
was quite balletic. You know, there were there were the enchaînements, there were the corps de ballet, there were the moments for the soloists, and that, I thought, must have been a huge challenge to keep all that there for the company at the same time as telling this great story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I'm glad because that's all the sort of stuff that we were aiming for. And I think it was important to take her as a person and, and show her her as a person how do you how do you become this how do you if she did become callous and cold how why and that's always i think it's interesting i think that a great story even in ballet of course in play and film but in ballet too the character has to be a circle can't be a line and you know often we're we're playing rothbart who's just evil (laughs) and the swan who's just good well life's not really like that Mm -hmm. and uh i i think that even our retelling of Bayadere and these sort of ballets needs to start to include that because we're just not naive enough like that anymore. We, I think uh, all, all the human race understands that everyone has a little good and a little bad within them and it's your choices to how you steer your path. So that's a... Well, <laughs> okay, that's a big one. So, But I do, I do find that there's... An interesting, you know, the, the, one of the one of the sort of tendances, if you will, the tendencies of of many choreographers in the you know in the years that I've been in the business has been to take something very traditional and shake it up, mm-hmm. and sometimes that there's a lot of resistance from the audience. They want that um, fairy tale. They want that make believe. They want everything to be okay in the end. Yes, and I get that, but it still doesn't mean like with this. I, I had done a production of Cinderella. She still ends up with the her love. It's just not the prince. Why does the man who has all the money and the glamour, what is that as a lesson? Her prince is who she loves. That's who your prince is. He may be a butler, but if you love him, he's your prince. You can still have the fairy story and the happy ending. Just just take away this falsehood of... Of that everyone who is is <laughs> royalty is is lovely, and I mean that just works for Cinderella. Marie, I didn't. F- I feel like all the characters were pretty dark and round to start with. I didn't need to add too many of them. There was no really good, completely good person who didn't make at least one error of judgment that ricocheted into other things somehow. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think you know if you look at the Pixar films and. <laughs> The new Disney films, those they're teaching kids in a smart way too. You know, it's no longer the the Disney of the Sleeping Beauty where it's just happy and euphoric the whole way through. I think storytelling has actually come back to the original folk stories that were a little darker and a little bit more about a life lesson than. than and it's to- not always just the mother getting killed. Like all the stories that we read, you know, like you know, Bambi and like, oh, the mother always disappears, yeah. right? You know, so it is, it is a little bit more uh, layered, I guess. Yeah. And that why, how, is someone ever just pure evil? I mean, how did they become pure evil? That's, that's interesting to me. I want to know what, what was Rothbart's journey? What made him hate swans? You know, <laughs> what, what, what was it? And, uh, or the evil stepmother. Yeah, why exactly. was she evil? Yeah. 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 So this is, um, is this the first time you've taken this, uh, show on the road we went to new orleans with okay. it, which yeah. was lovely because they also have a very strong connection to the story what's uh, their connection to the story? orleans mm-hmm. uh, he's one of the characters um 
a lot of the names Lafayette. I mean, a lot of the cities around Louisiana are named after the characters within the ballet. And Fayette. That's that French influence. <laughs> yes, yes. And Fayette and uh, uh, Furson, when they leave Marie, are going to New Orleans to help with the, the war. Um, so there was a nice connection. But this is our first international um, tour, so that's very exciting. And what do you normally tour with? You said that there is time in your season to go touring. Where do you tour to and with what kind of repertoire? Uh, it, it's all varied. Really? Uh, we, we've gone to Montreal several times. We have a nice exchange program with La Grande, and uh, they've come to Houston and perform. They're very popular there, and they do work that we can't. And we come to Montreal and do our full fuller evenings. Uh, we went on a wonderful tour of Spain a few years back, but it, it, it kind of, the recession kind of took the, the floor out of touring a little bit, I felt. So we really wanted to concentrate a little bit more regional because in America, you know, you've got your East Coast, great ballet companies, Boston and New York, of course, and, and Washington. But then once you sort of hit the middle and go down, uh, there's not a lot of great ballet companies. And, and I, when I mean great, I mean large and classically trained and dancers that could work in any company, that kind of stature. So to me, I think that our future in touring is, is actually a little bit more regionally. I would like to have a regular, uh, have, take our six programs a year and take them on the road a little bit more. We do about 100 shows a year. I'd like to do 200 we could. Amazing. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, uh, we're we always looking for, for ballet companies that like to perform with orchestra oh, and yeah. can do full evening works. And I find that more and more now, and again, it could be because of the recession or from what you're saying, that a lot of the big companies need to stay at home. They need to do more work at home. They need to do more mm. a longer season. They don't tour as much. We don't, we don't have that. Our program in the theatre, our Houston program is pretty set. And I'd say it's pretty maxed out, meaning that we do up to nine of our full lengths and six to seven of the mixed reps. Our full lengths would be at 80% capacity. You know, we'd need to hit 100 before we add a new sh another show. Mm -hmm. So our, meaning our season is kind of locked in. Mm -hmm. um, so the touring for us is what gets us extra casts and gets us extra performances. So that's really very high on our agenda of importance. So the dancers get to dance more. Um, we get to perform these ballets more. I mean, it, it makes the ballet better. You know, touring, it trims it, tightens it. Well, how do you look for new choreographers? Do you watch mm. DVDs? Do you go to shows? Do you get proposals? I mean, just the stuff that comes through my desk alone, even as a presenter, is outrageous. Yes. So I'm wondering, how do you find new talent? It's all of the above. Uh, it's all of the above. And also you try to nurture it within your own company. Um, DVDs are hard because it's hard to always get the sense um, it's hard to see a two-dimensional art form, yeah. a three-dimensional art form in a two-dimensional format. I and think. I feel like I want the audience reaction a little yes, bit. Yes, that's true, yeah, yeah. And, of course, we're performing a lot, so then that takes me out of seeing other stuff. So it, it's, it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge to find people. And I, it's nerve-wracking, as, as you know, it, you, you're bringing people to your into your home and <laughs> you want them to behave a certain way and you want them to be successful and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I, I find that quite a challenge. But this, you know, every year we have two or three new works that are choreographed by outside choreographers. 
Can you tell us a bit about who you're working with for the future? Sure. We have Eddie Liang is the next person. Oh, I, we to had a piece of his during the Joffrey show last right. year, which was very uh, well received. Age of Innocence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. of course, what I saw yes. uh, a few years back. And Ashley and I are good friends. And uh, he really talked very highly of Eddie. And he's a lovely guy. So the, I liked his influence. He came from Balanchine and Killian, which is, you know, two of my highest esteem. So there, there was a lot of pedigree there and... Uh, so That's he's, a great word, pedigree. It's true. It's very much like somebody who's got that work in their bones and yeah, in their no, heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's what school they went to. Yes. You know? yes. But and that uh, they've been able to, you know, take it beyond the the classroom and make it something that, that is about, you know, their 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 heartbeat. Uh-huh. And I like mixtures. I like that the parallel of Killian to Balanchine must make him a very interesting person because there's such different ways of hearing music and, and, and moving. So he's next, and I uh, do a Rite of Spring in that program too that's new. So that's our, our Is that for 2013? Yes. You're doing a Rite of Spring yes. for 2013. With everyone else on planet Earth, I think. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I find in Canada we're not celebrating that so oh. much. I'm certainly going to try and do something. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it's it's definitely something much more prevalent in Western Europe and in the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's just such extraordinary music. It's a ballet I've wanted to do for a very long time. And we also have in that program Pacific, which is Mark Morris's ballet. Mm. Um, so it'll be Rite of Spring and Mark Morris. And Eddie Liang. And Eddie Liang. Wow. So that's an exciting sort of all new to Houston. We've never done Pacific in Houston before. And we do Bayadere. And then we have Peter Pan by Trey McIntyre, mm-hmm. which was choreographed on Houston Ballet. And then we have sort of our master program at the end of the year, which is Ballet Imperial, Balanchine, Robbins, the concert, which is just one of my favorite ballets. And what Sinfonietta by Killian. So there you nice. go. That's, that, that, that's my master program. That's but. great. <laughs> that's great that they are the masters. Now you you're going into Rite of Spring. Um, again, this might be almost the opposite of doing Marie in some ways because it's such familiar territory. Yes. Whereas Marie was so unfamiliar. No boundary. Yeah. So how does that shape how you approach this? Do you do you feel I need to be different? I need to be distinct? No, I sort of stopped myself from looking at anyone else's Rite of Spring about a year and a half ago. I have, of course, all the influences. I've danced in them. I've watched many, many, many. So I stopped and very clearly try now not to see because what's in me is in me as a creator and if it's influenced by this version and that version and this version, then I think that ha- that's true to me. And I want it to be quite an organic uh, product because it's going to be a full company piece, so they're all in there. And we're making our body paint and our costumes ourselves, so everything is about making our own tribe, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't feel... It does make me nervous in the fact that I've got so many other influences of this one piece of music... And I know the music so well, but I, I feel like I, you just have to sometimes be true and feel what you feel. And, and of course, then the dancers will influence that as we go. We've only just started it. We've had about 10 hours of rehearsal. And I was very impressed with how excited they were by the music and uh, hungry for the challenge. What is it about that music? What is it about that it's subject primal. that makes everybody want to choreograph yeah, to it's it? It's primal. It's it's it, it's it's you it's in us all, you know. I think I believe that dance is in us all. You can find a child of one or two and put on something with a beat and they 
they we understand movement. It's a heartbeat. You you you're in the womb. That's all you're hearing is rhythm, exciting rhythm, slower rhythm. I don't I don't know. It, it makes you want to move. But there's lots of fantastic work with rhythm. I mean, you're you're talking uh, about why children even respond to something like a Kodo drummer yeah, uh, show. It's true. But there's something about that music and that story that so many Connects. choreographers are I can't think of another ballet in the 20th Firebird century a little bit I, yeah I, I guess I don't I don't know it to be that po- as popular, as but, popular but, yeah. but I mean right of spring yeah I, I think so I mean I think it's I, I joke around here that one year I'm just going to do a whole season you know in, in, in my small medium and large <laughs> halls of just different right of springs because you know you could do Taro Saarinen's solo which we did several years ago and Emmanuel Gatt did one to to just the um, string version oh. Stravinsky's string version and then of course we've had you know there's the Pina Bausch's and, yes. the, and, the, and the big traditional ones and so it just it's amazing to me that it, it does. It draws you in. It's something primal to me. I, I mean, my first experience of of that music was Fantasia. Oh, right. And I mean, I must have seen that movie <laughs> every year for years. And that was always about dinosaurs to me for years until I connected. Oh, it was a ballet. And then, and then you start to... When was the first time you danced in Rite of Spring? And, and we did whom? a Stephen Page, who I think you had here. Yeah, Mangara. He's uh, yeah. the artistic director of Mangara. Yeah. Right. And he did for the Australian Ballet, oh, God, this is ageing me, but it must be 20 years ago now, 15 years ago, a Oh, you're a young man, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a collaboration with Bangara and the Australian Ballet, and we danced I remember hearing about that, yeah. And that was really cool, and we'd never done anything like that before. And, uh, I wonder if that's touring in the spring of 2013 they, for the 100th anniversary. They have done it. I'm they just, sure, yeah. Didn't they just do it in New York last year? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not we up to speed on that. We no. toured it to New York back, way back. But I, I have a feeling they just brought it again this last time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that was fun and cool in all different ways. We had a high, uh, a high elder from one of the tribes come down and... and talk about the movement he danced in the beginning like a blessing and that was really great and culturally great and a great statement for where Australia was up to at that point it was before our apology it was was great it was a really emotional piece to be in (laughs) it's incredible I mean and it's incredible given that there are no my understanding is that there are no real videos of the original piece that there are photographs the original ride the original ride of spring well yeah i'm not sure of that i know joffrey does the original that's well as as close to the original as it can be Mm -hmm. and that's the one that i have seen over the years um i thought it was notated it was notated apparently there are photographs but there's no film there are little moments but not you know full documentation it's It's interesting And I mean, I love that production too. Did the ballet company have a production of Rite of Spring before yes, this? Yes, Glenn Tetley's. Okay. Which was the well, the Australian ballet had Glenn Tetley's prior to Stephen Page's okay. as well. Um, and what about Houston? Will this be the first for Houston? No, Glenn Tetley's. Oh, Glenn, well, that was Glenn Tetley. Sorry. I see. Sorry. Right. Um, so that one, uh, you know, I'm very familiar with too. Uh, and I, the Beja Rite of Spring, I think, is fantastic. And they're touring that next year, yeah, which is incredible. <laughs> that was one of the first ones that I really went crazy for. And uh, Nick Millen's, I love too. And it's, it, it's very interesting because we, we you know, we celebrated in the dance world the anniversary of Ballet Russe, and many viewers, mm-hmm. I, you know, we tried 
we we made as much a big a deal of it as we could because I think it's important for new audience also to understand the incredible influence of that era. And now I hope with this hundredth anniversary of Rider Spring, we get to do that again. And how experimental it was, you know. Exactly. And what I like reminding our our board and our audiences of when this first premiered, it was a riot. And now we all consider it genius. So just remember that when you're angry (laughs) at something you're watching, because, you know, there are many things, butterfly, many many operas, music, ballets that are not received well initially and then become something else. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think it's an incredible thing for you to be able to do after 10 years at at the helm of this company. I mean, it's sort of like... Uh, I'm not saying it's your it's your creme de la creme, but it's 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 almost like something that a choreographer. I asked Terrell Saarinen once, why do so many choreographers Everest. want to do this? Exactly, <laughs> that wasn't his answer, but it was sort of like that. He said because ev- because we have to. Yeah, we Swan listen Lake to the music. To me, was like that too. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Tell me about your new building. I want to I want to oh. make sure we spend a few minutes yeah. on that. We uh, moved in a year and a half ago. How long? A, how long a dream was that? Many, many years. Or? About five, I would say. You know, they, they, the board had asked CC Connor, who was executive director at the time, and myself, look, write out this, you know, big dream plan. If you could dream as big as you want, what is that? And so we we talked about company expansion, touring, um, and having a building where we could have studios for the school and the company at the and our old facility we shared everything we had uh six studios and the school and the company shared them so when the school began at 4 30 we were very limited um we had no performance space within that building and we were about a 10 15 minute drive from the theater so when the company moved into the theater we never saw anyone from management again for six months it was it, it wasn't great So then we decided, so part of our big dream was to have the school and company in a a venue where we had more studio space than we needed, where our studios were the same size as the stage we performed on. So every time we rehearsed, we could rehearse fully, that we had a black box venue that we could produce anything in, we could choreograph anything in and use all day long as part of the creation we have dorms on the top floor for the school. All our offices are in there. Wardrobe is in there. So we just wanted to bring everything together. And so we had this big dream and uh, shockingly <laughs> it worked. Of course, the uh, we announced the campaign, we begin the campaign and the recession comes, bang. But interestingly with Houston, they just do not listen to that. We have mm-hmm. less than a million to pay off wow. on our building. The, I don't. I thought we'd be paying that building off for a decade. Wow! And we're less than a million. Did you did you uh, excavate a new space or take we over bought, an old uh, building? No, no. We bought an empty lot in the middle of downtown, uh, catty corner to the theatre. The government, the city, built us a bridge connecting the theatre to the building, and we built this. We bought this block of land, and we built this five story building with nothing but dance in it. And for me, you know, I've been in many great buildings. Uh, The Australian Ballet Building is a wonderful building, but one floor is for a television station and four floors are parking, and they did that to pay for it. Yes, I've seen that many times. Yeah, Yeah, and it makes complete sense to me. We didn't have to do that. This is a monument to dance, classical dance, in Texas, built in the heart of their downtown. 
And that's that, brilliant. Yeah, and that to me just shows that commitment to the arts. I mean, you can't drive through Houston and not see it. And it's all it's a beautiful building and it's all glass. We had no windows before. We now have light and but it's being all together and as a choreographer, it's having a space where choreographing Marie, if I want to have the bed in there, I can. If we want to light it, we can. That that changes everything. It it just gives you a level of freedom. Creation that, you know, is amazing. How long have you been in there? A year and a half. So I imagine, so really, uh, was that uh, alongside the creation of Marie? Yeah, no, Marie was first. We had done Marie entirely in the other building, I think. I don't remember any rehearsals in the new building for Marie. But but it also gives you an opportunity to actually see the work before you go into the venue, which dance doesn't tend to do. Ironically, I've not done that yet. Uh, (laughs) Everyone else who's come has done it. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming up with the right of spring, I guess. But no, you're exactly right. It's the idea of saying if you want to do a piece where you want to light them all with torches. Well, in our old venues, we can't do that. You have to use your imagination and you have your two hours on stage and that's it. And if it doesn't work, you have to switch. Where this, we can really workshop something. Our choreographic workshop is in this venue. We rent it to smaller companies in Houston who also use it as a performing space. I imagine that the opera and the symphony are extremely jealous. <laughs> they are. I think the opera was happy because we moved out of the Wortham a little bit. So say they liked that. Yeah. But More yeah, I mean, they. Mm-hmm. It, we were just at the right time, ironically, and this plot of land. And I mean, all of them would have wanted that land because it's so close to the theatres. It was just, we were really lucky. Well, you know, we joked at the beginning that you've already been at Houston Ballet for 10 years, but I mean, I can see you there for many decades to come. I so, hope so. What, I what's, hope so. What's, what's the big 10-year plan now? You've got this fantastic building, you're doing such incredible work with the company. What would you say is your big plan now? Well, the rest of that same plan was uh, we want to raise the remaining money for our capital campaign so that we can put it into our endowment. We would like to have a touring fund that we could spend the money on doing this regional touring that we may initially have to pay for ourselves until we create an audience base and a subscription base, maybe just within Texas. Uh, We would like the company to probably get to 60, 65. We're at 54 right now, which is great, and we're very tight. But when we do a show, we're all on. And when someone's injured, there's someone not on. <laughs> you know, it's not like... Yes, I was surprised that you have one Marie for the, <laughs> yes. for the three shows that, in That uh, was an interesting in choice, though, yeah. I, we have, we've done uh, Marie with four different people, but <coughs> I, I felt like for this I wanted the repetition for the cast because we don't get that, you know. But, yeah, so that would be, that would be a plan. I would love, to, well, I said the touring and the expansion of the company. We would like to do a new full length every year. And I mean new, not renting it, not not co-producing it, ours every year. Next year, we have a new a work by David Bintley. We're hopefully getting a piece of John Newmyers. Um, I, I would love for the Houston audience to have that um, the sense that we are creating and, and pioneering forward, going to Hamburg Ballet and seeing John Newmyers coming to his 40th anniversary as director. I know. <laughs> And he has done like a new full length every year for forty years, and that just makes me thrilled. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. We were we had the seagull here with the National Ballet right. of Canada, and it's a beautiful piece. I mean, it's yeah. like oh, 
that's what these dancers need, and I think that that's what Houston would love. We want to we want to be telling stories and moving forward and creating, and and we do it. But you know, as as we all know, we have budgets to deal with, and and that puts constraint. And hopefully, the remaining part of this campaign will alleviate that constraint. It would go into our endowment, which we could then live off. And and the new full length every year, do you see that being Stanton Welch? Oh no, anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean just just new, made in Houston, made on those artists. It doesn't need to be me. I don't think I could actually do that. But <laughs> no, it wasn't it wasn't for me. Well, given all these fantastic um, Canadian connections you have, <laughs> uh, you know, with all these artists who yeah. may or may not move to the States and find their way to you or that you find from Canada, we, you know, encourage you to uh, Well, keep I'd that love connection. for Crystal to come. I've been talking to her oh, good. for a while. But, uh, she's yeah. a real, she's a, she's a favorite Talent with us too. as well. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. The real deal, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, look, it's been a great, great, great pleasure. And I, I would love to say to you and to all the people listening that we'd love to have the company here on a more regular basis. Oh, and, and we'd love it too. And our orchestra's thrilled. And oh, uh, I think what you're doing there is just, you know, just fantastic work. Thank it's you. Brilliant. Thank you very, very much. That's all for this NEC Dance Podcast. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca forward slash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time. Music